We'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel 5, we're continuing our study of the book of Daniel. Daniel, of course, was a young man taken off into captivity by the Babylonians. He was Jewish. The Babylonians captured the, the Jewish empire, basically. The Jewish uh, start, captured Jerusalem and on. And Daniel was taken off to Babylon. And God raised him up to be in a position of leadership under a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to see Daniel lives his whole life in captivity in Babylon, and then later on, and we'll see in the Medo-Persian Empire as well. The book of Daniel is sort of special. It's special because we see a couple of things. First of all, we see the character of Daniel. And as we see the character of Daniel, and of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which we saw back in chapter 3, we look at these men who lived for, for, for God in a fallen world, in a fallen culture, and we think about the same thing for us. We want to live in such a way that we bring honor and glory to Christ. The second thing about the book of Daniel, and we haven't seen it quite as much yet, we saw it back in chapter 2, that that he gives the future events. When you study the book of Daniel and you take Daniel and put it together with the book of Revelation, the entire end time events fit together. And we saw back in chapter 2 about the Medio, the, basically the Babylonians, the Medio Persians, the Greco Macedonians, and they just go right on through history. And the book of Daniel takes us all the way to the kingdom of God when Jesus Christ comes as the King of kings and Lord of lords. So it's a great book in all of that. As we look at chapter 5, a party is given by the king, by a king by the name of Belshazzar. And we may say, Belshazzar? That's not, we don't know who that is because up to this point, all we've ever seen is a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. We realize, and I'll explain it to you uh, as we go through the passage, that he's actually the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was a great king, but when you look at Belshazzar, I don't think he's very great. And we'll look at it as we see it. Some time has passed between chapter 4 and chapter 5. In fact, in chapter 5, we're at the year about 539 BC. So Daniel has been in captivity for about 70 years. So if Daniel was 14 or 15 when he was taken into captivity, he's 85 years old at least now. He may be in his 90s. As we look at this chapter, we're going to see a party. Belshazzar throws a party, but there's an uninvited guest and we'll see who that is. And once again, we get the good, a good look at the character of Daniel, and then we see also the sovereignty of God, as God is the one who raises up kings and sets down kings. So we'll see it as we go through this morning. I had a friend that he worked at this large company, and, and he, was, he was great. He was a great worker. After he'd been there for a number of years, and he was in a good position, the company changed hands. In fact, the company was bought by another company. And there were changes made. A new boss came in, took over his division, and, the, and then the people he started reporting to, well, they didn't really match him. And he didn't get along as well with his supervisors as he had with these other people that before. And what did he do? Well, I talked to him one time, and I said, what's going on? He said, well, you know, I'm looking for another job. I said, looking for another job? I thought you were really happy there. He said, well, I was happy, but, you know, they made so many changes. And then he said this statement, you know, the handwriting's on the wall. Well, when we say that, you know what that means. It means, well, you know, it's, it's plain that I'm not going to be able to stay here much longer. The handwriting's on the wall. Well, you realize that comes from Daniel chapter 5. In fact, we're going to see as we study this passage, there are three famous sayings from, that we get in life from Daniel chapter 5. We'll see those in just a minute. A good bit of time has passed from Daniel chapter 4 to Daniel chapter 5. Dan, uh, Babylon has been a world empire for 70 years, and it's about to be the end of the Babylonian empire. 
Nebuchadnezzar was really a great king. And I hope, you know, we looked at chapter 4 last week, and, and we just, if you look at it, you say, I just don't know if Nebuchadnezzar actually became a believer in the true God of Israel and maybe believed in the Messiah. You can't really tell by some of the things he writes. It's a possibility he may have. I hope when we get to heaven, Nebuchadnezzar's there, and we'd say, hey, you know, we studied you, and you know, we saw you. But what we've seen so far that Nebuchadnezzar learned from God about God is in chapter 2 that God is the God who reveals. And in chapter 3, God is the one who delivers. But in chapter 4 is where we're going, following on is God is the sovereign ruler. And that's what we're seeing even in this one because God is the one that raises up kings and sets down kings. And so we're going to see it. Nebuchadnezzar has died. A new king has come. Now let me remind you of something. When you think about the book of Daniel, Chapters 1 through 6 are in chronological order. In other words, chapter 1, Daniel is a young man. When you get to chapter 6, Daniel is an old man. In fact, it all covers over 70 years. In fact, through chapter 5 covers 70 years. So Daniel is at least 85. Daniel was captured by the Babylonians, and he serves all the way up into the Medo-Persian Empire. The chapter 7 through 12, which we're going to be getting to pretty soon, is non-chronological, and there are various events, but they're dreams and visions and prophecies for the future. And so there's going to be some really interesting things. Well, some years have passed between chapter 4 and chapter 5, and we meet this man named Belshazzar. He's come to be the king. He is actually, and I'll explain to you how it fits together in just a second, he's actually the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Let me remind you of something. In Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11, Jeremiah prophesied that the Babylonian Empire would rule for 70 years. And at the end of 70 years, God would raise up a new king, and they would allow the Jewish people to come back home. Well, if you look at the time, this is about the 70 years. When we get into Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is going to be praying and realizing the 70 years have happened. So here in chapter 5, it is about 70 years. So Daniel is about 85 years old. He was a young man when he was taken to captivity. He's an old man now. Now let me give you some, some quick background. I don't want to bore you with this, but after Nebuchadnezzar, he had a son by the name of Evil Merodach. That was his son. By the way, evil Merodach was a very evil man. He didn't rule very long. After he died, later and later, two or three little things around, a guy by the name of Nabonius became, he was the son-in-law of Nebuchadnezzar, and, uh, uh, and uh, he became a king. He became a ruler. He had a son, and his son's name was, was Belshazzar, and he's the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. So when we study this, we're going to see that Nebuchadnezzar, even though in this passage, and when we read it a while ago, it said, your father, that is actually the Aramaic word for ancestor. They, for some reason, many of the Bibles translated it father. He's actually his grandfather. So when we read it in a minute, I'll say father, but I'll tell you that it means grandfather. And this man, Nabonius, had a son named Belshazzar, and here's what's unusual. He's co-ruling with his father. So when we read chapter 5, the man that we see named Belshazzar actually has a father named Nabonius, and they are ruling together. But Nabonius lives in a town in a city called Tema, and Belshazzar lives in Babylon, which is the big city. And we'll talk more about it as we get to it. Now, I want to show you something that tells you how amazing the Bible is. A while ago, we talked about Jeremiah, and I want to... Look at a passage in just a second. I'm going to put it up on the screen from Jeremiah chapter 27. Jeremiah wrote about 150 years before this event. 
And look what Jeremiah says, because you see now, we're looking at Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, and Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Watch what Jeremiah wrote. Jeremiah 27, verses 6 and 7, God says, I have given all these lands into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, there he is. Now, at that point in time, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't the world ruler yet. King of Babylon, my servant, and I have given him all the wildfires, wild animals in the field to serve him. Now, look at this next verse. All the nations shall serve him, Nebuchadnezzar, and his son, and his grandson, until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings will make him their servant. He's saying that Nebuchadnezzar is going to rule in his Babylon empire from Nebuchadnezzar to his son to his grandson. In chapter 5, Belshazzar is his grandson. This is the end of the Babylonian empire. It is amazing how God does this sort of thing. So we're seeing that. We're now at the end of this. And you remember we're seeing the head of gold, which is Babylon, and the arms and chest with the Medes and the Persians. By the way, if you weren't here for chapter 2, there was this giant statue. And as they went down the statue, in fact, I think I've got the statue. That's the statue. That's the empires to come. That's the Babylonian Empire, Medo-Persian Empire, Greco-Macedonian Empire, Roman Empire, revised Roman Empire. That is a statue Nebuchadnezzar saw in chapter 2, giving the flow of history. And of course, Daniel was the one to tell it. Right now, the head of gold is about to give way to the arms of silver, uh, of silver, arms and chest of silver, which is the medial Persian empire. Amazing. Well, the city of Babylon. Let me explain something to you. Because when you see Belshazzar having a party, it's not all it seems to be. The medial Persian empire has come to power. There's a guy by the name of Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian. They've come together and they are conquering the world and they have already conquered almost all of the Babylonian empire. There's one city left and it is the capital city of Babylon. At this time, Belshazzar is in the capital city of, Belsha, of, of, of Babylon and Outside the city, the medial Persians have been attacking the walls for about two to three years, trying to conquer the city. Belshazzar thinks he's got it made because the city is gigantic. Let me read some things to you. The city was about 15 miles square, walls 300 feet high, towers 100 feet more. The walls were 87 feet wide. You could ride three or four chariots across the top of the walls of the city. The Euphrates River ran from the north to the south through the city, came under the, the walls of the city. He thinks that nobody can capture him. If he just read the Bible in Jeremiah, he'd know his time is up, okay? But he didn't. And so he's having a party. Now, a lot of times people think that he's having the party, not because he actually thinks he's safe, but he's trying to help his people think, listen, we're going to have a party just showing you that those enemies, they can't get into our city. We're, you know, they'll never conquer us. So he's having this party. And he's basically saying nobody can conquer us outside there's a leader called Darius. He's the leader of the Medes. There's a Persian called Cyrus. Now, the best that we can tell, and we're going to see it more when we get to, ne to chapter 6, that Cyrus is actually the leader of the medial Persian Empire. Darius may be his son, may be one of his nephews. We're not sure how Darius fits in, but Darius is mentioned in the Bible as well. The city is under attack. Now, picture this. 
The soldiers are fighting at the wall. Meanwhile, Belshazzar has a party with a thousand people invited. And they're all getting drunk. They're all having this some kind of party coming. He knows that one of these days, his time will be up. But he, wants, he doesn't want to admit it. You know, so oftentimes people refuse to believe in God's coming judgment. Have you thought about that? There are people you talk to and you talk to them about Jesus and you say, you know, one of these days Jesus Christ is coming back as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He will rule the world in righteousness and justice and all who believe in him will have eternal life and all of those who reject him will be separated forever. And people say, I don't believe any of that or I don't really care. In fact, there's some people who say, I don't even want to talk about God because if you talk about God, because if you actually talk about God, then you actually believe God exists. And if you believe God exists, you've got to realize that he is the ruler of all things. And if you start doing that, then that means you're accountable to him. And most people don't want, a lot of people do not want to realize that they're accountable to God and one day they'll stand before him. Now, Belshazzar doesn't want to have anything to do with God or anything to do with anything. So let me give you the outline. Belshazzar has a party. That's our first four verses. God speaks to Belshazzar. He does it with a handwriting on the wall. That's verses 5 through 12. And then Daniel joins the party. And we'll see a lot more. Let's look at it. Daniel chapter 5, look at verse 1. Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. And he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. Now Belshazzar is the grandson. Just have to take it by fact here that he is the grandson. When we see the word father in a minute, it means ancestor. Uh, he's got this great feast. Now remember the war's going on outside, but he's acting like there's not a war. And it says he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousands. The word drinking there in the Aramaic, because this portion of the Bible, if you remember, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek, but there are portions of the Old Testament written in Aramaic, beginning in chapter 2 of Daniel and going through chapter 9 of Daniel, it's written in Aramaic, and the Aramaic word here for drinking is the word to be drunk. So not only is he drinking, he's getting in drunk. And when it says in the presence of thousands, it has an idea of being raised up on a platform. So he's up where everybody can see him, a thousand people in a big room, and he's in front of everybody and he's getting drunk. That's what you see. And when you think about it, what kind of leadership is that? What we see is a drunken orgy. That's what it is. Because if you notice later on, he's got his wives, his nobles, his concubines, they're all in there drinking. Notice verse 2. When Belshazzar had tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. You say, what are you talking about? Do you remember that in the temple in Jerusalem, there were different bowls and cups that they used in the sacrificial system? Sometime when a priest killed an animal, they had a big bowl they put under it and they caught the blood. When Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem and they destroyed it, they took the gold and the silver and they took the ark. Of the, they took it all and took it to Babylon. Now, Nebuchadnezzar must have had a change of heart because this stuff is not out. But Belshazzar gives orders to bring in, bring in those cups, bring in those bowls. Let's do this. Let's make fun of the God of Israel and let's drink out of his stuff. That's what he's doing. And so he brings in the cups and the bowls, and they're drinking from the things that God used in the temple. Now, you know, when you think about the Jewish people, how important the temple and the altar and the brazen altar and the altar of incense and the table of showbread and the cups, how, Im how important that was. This man is making fun of all of it. That's what he's doing. 
He's making fun. So verse 3 says, They brought in the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. So he's drinking. And it says that they drank the wine and praised the gods of, now not the true God, but the gods of gold and silver and bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Those are idols. They're making fun of the true God and they're praising false gods. That's what he's doing. And he's doing it in a big party and they're all drunk. Now as we look at this passage, I want to remind you of something. There are three famous sayings that come from this chapter. Three famous sayings that come from, the, from this from the book of Daniel. One, knees are not... You ever heard somebody so scared together their knees are knocking together? That's in this chapter. Have you ever heard somebody say, the handwriting's on the wall? That's in this chapter. Have you ever heard somebody say, your number's up? You know, when it's like, well, your number's up, your number's up. That's from the book of Daniel. We'll see it. It's going to take us a couple of weeks, uh, this week and next week, to get the whole thing. But we'll see those. They all deal with Belshazzar. So watch what happens. War's going on outside. Big party with a thousand people. He's drunk in front of everybody. They're making fun of the God of Israel. And watch what happens. Verse 5. Suddenly, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Out of nowhere, on a wall, a hand appeared and began to write in front of everybody. It's probably where the king was up on this platform and the people were all out there on the wall, probably right there by the lampstand. Suddenly, a hand appeared and finger began to write on the wall. It said, suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall. And, and the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. I tried to find pictures that people have drawn in history to see what it looks like. Uh, that could be something like that, that that could be Belshazzar, and he looks, and there's this hand writing on the wall. It scared him to death. What would we do if right now, all of a sudden, you said, Jimmy, behind you, and I went, what? And I looked behind us, and the hand appeared and began to write right there. We'd probably all sober up pretty quick, wouldn't we? Right? What would happen? So look, it says, verse 6, Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. You may have heard that famous saying, I was so scared my knees were knocking together. That's where it comes from. He's so scared his knees are knocking together. He calls for his wise men. What does this writing say? What was written on the wall? Verse 7, the king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, he said, Look, any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have the authority as third ruler in the kingdom. So he calls in and he says, Listen, uh, can anybody read this? Can anybody tell me what this says? What is it saying? He says, if you can, I'm going to give you purple, which, which was like kingly clothes. I mean, that's the top of the line. That's like saying, I'm going to give you the most expensive clothes I could give you. I'm going to put this gold necklace around your, your, and then you'll be third ruler in the kingdom. Now, what third ruler? Why third ruler? Because remember, Nabonius and Belshazzar were co-rulers. So the most they could be was third. 
And so he says, anybody that can read this writing is third. They can't read it. Why? Because the natural man doesn't understand the things of God. God has given a message, and the only person that's going to be able to tell what this message means is going to be Daniel. Because God raised Daniel up in the Babylonian Empire to be a leader, to be able to interpret the dreams, and to do all these kind of things. So he's greatly alarmed. And he says, please, tell somebody, come in here and, and, and do this. Look at verse 8. All the king's men came in, and they could not read the inscription made known, or make known its interpretation of the king. They looked at it, but they said, we have no idea what that says. We have no idea what it means. Even if they could make out the letters, and they might could have, we don't know. We don't know whether it's Hebrew or Aramaic or some other language. We don't know exactly. But they don't know what it is. And so the king, Belshazzar, was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. They're all going, we don't know what to do. Now, in chapter 25, excuse me, in verse 25, we don't have to turn over there. We won't get to it today. But in verse 25, he tells us what is written on the wall. Mine, mine, teko hufarshan. That's actually Aramaic. That's what was on the wall. Now, how it's written on the wall, we're not sure. It could have been written something like this. And by the way, uh, that's, that's, that would be mene, mene, tiko, huparshan. Could be written like that. Aramaic sometimes looks a lot like Hebrew. It could be even like this. It could be mene, mene, tiko, huparshan. That's the, it's four words. Four words written on the wall. That's all it was. And even if they could read it, they would say, what does that mean? What, what does that mean? Now, by the way, if you want me to give you a head start, mene means numbered. It means numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. That's the four words. Even if they could read it, they would go numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. What does that mean? I don't know. I have no idea. They don't know what it means. They don't know. So look what happens, verse 10. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles, and the queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. Now, we're not sure who this is. The actual word there means queen mother, and so it could be the wife of Nebuchadnezzar who could still be alive. That would be his grandmother, or it could be the wife of Nabonius, which would be his mother. So we're not sure who this is, but it doesn't, it's not his wife. We can tell you that the way the word is written. And so here's what happens. This woman comes in, and she says, don't be alarmed. Don't let your thoughts bother you. Why? Well, because she says there's, there's, there's this man in your kingdom who there is a spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, actually your ancestor, it'd be Nebuchadnezzar, illumination, insight, and wisdom like the wisdom of gods was found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your ancestor, your ancestor the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. So she's saying, listen, you may not know this, but when your grandfather was alive, he had this man that could tell everything. This man, if there was uh, something hard, he could tell about it. If it was a dream, he could tell you what the dream was. He, he, he had, and she said it this way, he had the spirit of the holy gods in him. The truth is, he had the spirit of God in him. He had the true God. And so she's telling him, listen, you don't have to worry about it. There's a guy still alive in the kingdom that can help us. She goes on and says uh, in verse 12, this was because an extraordinary spirit, 
knowledge, insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. She says that, that, Dan, that Nebuchadnezzar called this man Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar, Bel, B-E-L, was one of the names of the gods of the Babylonians. And so he, we, we talked about it in chapter 1, that when they captured these Jewish young men, they gave them different names. And they took Daniel's name, which means God is judge, and they changed it to Belteshazzar, which means the servant of Baal. And so that's what he's supposed to be doing. So watch what happens. Now, here's the question. Where do you think Daniel is? I want you to understand something, that when Nebuchadnezzar was the king, Daniel was his right-hand man. Whenever Nebuchadnezzar had an issue, he called in Daniel. When Nebuchadnezzar went through all those problems in his life, Daniel was right there. After Nebuchadnezzar dies, we said evil Moridoc came. There was another king after that, another son. There was another one, and then finally Nabonius. And the best we can understand is none of these other people used Daniel at all. In fact, he was getting to be an old man, and you know what sometimes people do with old men? They say, why don't you just go sit over there and sit by yourself and leave us alone? And so Daniel hasn't been used in a good while. And now Nebuchadnezzar's wife or Nabonus' wife says, there's this man, I remember back when your grandfather was the king, there was this man that could answer all of these kind of questions. Call for him and he'll give you the interpretation. So look what happens. Verse 13, then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, are you that Daniel? who is the one of the exiles from Judah, who my father, my ancestor, the king, brought from Judah. It's actually a cut. He's actually saying, you one of my slaves? We captured y'all? You one of the slaves my grandfather captured? Are you one of those guys that that, uh, he captured? Are you that right guy? He's making fun of Daniel. He didn't even know Daniel. He's making fun of Daniel. He says in verse 14, Now I heard about you, that a spirit of the gods is in you, and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom has been found in you. Now he said something good there. You know, he said, said, I've heard of you. Well, he just heard of him. But let me tell you something. Daniel was famous. Any of the people that knew Nebuchadnezzar and lived on after that, they knew who Daniel was. Daniel was a man of God. And let me ask you a question. Anybody know about us? Anybody know about you? Anybody know that you stand for God? Anybody know that you are a godly person who seek to make an impact in this community? Does anybody know about you? Or are we secret Christians where we just do our thing and we hope nobody asks us a question we can't answer? We want to be known for those who stand for Jesus Christ. So look what happens. He says, I've heard of you and I heard the Spirit of God is in you. And then he says in verse 15, Just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me. They might read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me. But they couldn't declare the interpretation of the message. They said, I brought everybody in to look up here and read this thing, but they couldn't do it. But I personally have heard about you, that you're able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now, here's the deal. If you're able to read the inscription, make the interpretation known to me, guess what I'm going to do for you? You will be clothed with purple, you will wear a necklace of gold, and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, do you think Daniel is going, wow, that would be so neat to be third ruler in this kingdom? 
Look, Daniel helped Nebuchadnezzar, the mightiest king of all. This man is nothing. Do you think Daniel wants to work with this guy? Daniel doesn't care. In fact, you know what Daniel knows? He's, he's read Jeremiah, by the way. Daniel read Jeremiah, and you know what he knows? He knows the time is up. He knows that the end of the kingdom is at hand, that this guy's not going to rule very long. That's what he knows. So <laughs> we're going to look at verse 17 just so you can see what Daniel says. But I want to remind you of something. When Daniel was with Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar was an old king, and Daniel was a young boy, and there was respect. But now there's a young king and an old man, and Daniel doesn't respect him at all because he knows what kind of man he is. And so look how Daniel answers him in verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said to, before the king, keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to somebody else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make, known the interp make the interpretation known to him. What Daniel said is, I don't need your gifts. Just give them to somebody else. Keep your prizes to yourself. I don't want a gold necklace. I don't want purple clothes. And I sure don't want to be third ruler with you. Keep your gifts for yourself, but I will make known the inscription and the interpretation. Now, if you want to know what the inscription interpretation is, you got to do two things, one of two things. You either got to come back next week, or you got to read it this week and see what it says. And then come back and see if I'm right, okay? So what do we see? There's a party. And he's making fun of God. And God sends a message by the handwriting on the wall. And the wise men can't read it. So the queen mother comes in and says, send for this guy named Daniel. He can read it. And Daniel comes in and he's going to say, Daniel says, I will tell you what it means. Think about this. Let's realize some people ignore the coming judgment. Have you thought about that? Belshazzar knows judgment's coming. He knows the enemy is surrounded. He knows that all of the Babylonian empire has already fallen to the Medio Persians. He knows that. He's hanging on for dear life, and yet he's having a party. He doesn't want to admit it. The truth, the Bible says that one day, every knee shall bow, and every tongue will stand before Jesus Christ. Do you understand that unbelievers will stand before what is known as the great white throne judgment is found in Revelation chapter 20. Has nothing to do with your good works or bad works. Salvation is a gift by faith alone in Christ alone. There is a book called the book of life which is opened at the great white throne judgment and anyone's name not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. There are many people, un un unbelievers, who understand or who don't want to believe that one day they will stand before Jesus Christ, they will bow before Jesus Christ, and if their name is not found written in the book of life, they will be cast into the lake of fire. The only way you get your name in the book of life is trust Jesus Christ to give you life, to give you eternal life. Trust Christ as your Savior. So if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, there's a judgment coming. It has nothing to do with your good works or bad works. It has to do with whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not. And if you've never trusted Christ, right where you're sitting, you can put your faith in Christ as your Savior right now. For the believers, we stand before what's called the judgment seat of Christ. And once again, it has nothing to do with sin, bad works or anything. It has to do with how we lived for Jesus Christ as believers. It's a rewarding stand, and we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. The second thing is sometimes, let's understand that some, some only go to God when there's a problem. 
when something goes wrong, sometimes people will turn to God. They're, they're unbelievers that don't want to talk about God, but some tragedy happens in their life, and they go, we need, to, we, we need to talk to God. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me. And sometimes believers, we live as if he doesn't exist until we have a problem. We need to realize that he is there for us all the time, and we need to live in such a way that we just maintain our fellowship and our relationship with him. The third thing to think about is this. What kind of testimony do you have? Daniel had a great testimony. When we walk out these doors, do people know who we are? Do people know that where you work or where you live or, or where you play or what do you do, that you belong to Jesus Christ? That you are a Christian, that you have put your faith in Christ as Savior? And last but not least, let's realize God rules the world. Old Belshazzar's having a party, but you know what? If you look ahead in the passage, this, he will die this very night. He will not live through the night because God is taking down the Babylonian empire and he's bringing up the Medo-Persian empire because God rules the world. May we live for Jesus Christ trusting him as he rules the world knowing that one day all people will give an accounting to him. May we live in such a way that we'll hear him say well done good and faithful servant.